We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. There is no arguing that Cook County has a major financial problem right now. Repeal of the despised county sugary soft drink tax blew a $200 million hole in next year's budget. Some county commissioners are suggesting they can find lots of savings hidden in the big county health system's budget. But the head of that system is saying otherwise, strongly. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Dr. Jay Shannon. He is the CEO of Cook County's Health and Hospital System. It is a post that he has held since 2014, but he has spent most of his professional life at Stroger Hospital starting back in 1990. Uh, He has headed the Adult Asthma Clinic. He's been Chief of Pulmonary and Critical Care. And I just realized this week uh, when he was uh, testifying at a hearing that he still sees patients. Uh, that's amazing, actually. That must be what he does with his spare time when he, while he is running a massive hospital system that serves more than 300,000 patients a year. Well, now it seems he is being forced to defend that system, though he has certainly uh, a number of allies on the county board. Dr. Jay Shannon, welcome back. It's good to be back. And you really do see patients. I do. I see patients in the clinic down at uh, Providence Hospital. Huh. Okay, because you weren't busy enough, I guess. No, it keeps me sharp. Well, that is uh, that is good to hear. And one had to be for uh, this past week's county board uh, finance committee hearing. Uh, the county board has cut has to cut almost two hundred million dollars in spending, or find something similar in revenue to balance the twenty eighteen budget. All department heads were asked to make cuts. Most have though some didn't cut as deep as the administration wanted, and you were one of those. Why? Well, uh, Craig, you know, the challenge that we have is that as the years have gone by, particularly in the last eight or so years, we've substantially decreased our dependence on the local tax allocation that we get from the Cook County Board and from the Cook County taxpayers. That drop has been from about $480 million about nine years ago to where we are today, which is about $110 million. Now, if you look at that $110 million and you say, what is it for? In fact, about $100 million of that is for services that the county is required to provide, but for which the health system can't bill. Those are the services that we provide uh, to detainees at the Cook County Jail and the Juvenile Detention Center about $90 million worth of services, and the services that we provide uh, to suburban Cook County with the Cook County Department of Public Health, about $10 million. So $100 million of that $110 million is for services that we can't bill for, but the county is responsible for. At the same time, the health system is the single largest provider of charity care in the state. The last year that we have completed data for, we provided almost $250 million of charity care. And so when we look at the amount that we're actually getting from the Cook County taxpayers, while we're very grateful for that, 
it really doesn't begin to uh, fill the hole of the charity care that we provide. So any further cuts to the health system, we would be faced at uh, with reducing services. That's always problematic because the services that we provide are to very vulnerable communities that oftentimes can't get their care elsewhere. They'll see either visible or invi- invisible barriers to that care. And secondly, when we reduce services, unlike some of the other parts of county government, we also reduce the revenue stream that's associated with those services. So it may turn out to be a double whammy to the bottom line. Hmm. Uh, but now, depending on how you measure it, and officials are measuring everything every which way uh, at this time of year, the uh, health and hospital system is proposed budget is just under $2.5 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is 44% of Cook County's total spending. So... Uh, you can understand why average people might look at a budget that's that large and say, why can't they find $27 million, uh, which is what some commissioners are asking, and for people who are wondering why that number uh, is there, it is the amount of money that would have gone to the uh, hospital system uh, from the uh, sweet and beverage tax. So... you know, people, I, I think, just generally think there must be room in a, in a budget that big to find $27 million. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's an understandable uh, question, but let me explain a little bit because what has happened is that in recent years, since the health system has been operating a Medicaid-managed care plan called County Care, the revenues associated with County Care are directly proportional to the size of the membership. And so the county's budget turns out to be like a Russian doll. The county's budget includes the health system's budget. The health system's budget includes the health plan's budget. And as the health plan has gotten substantially bigger, and the health plan today is about 300,000 members, that's almost twice what it was this time last year. So what happens is we have a growth in the county care budget. But as I've explained to the commissioners, We have to think of the county care revenue as being a restricted fund. It's in a lockbox. The revenues come in to take care of the members of that health plan, and the dollars go out to the providers of the care to those members. So we can't dip our hands into the health plan's revenues to solve uh, a, a balance either in the health system or in the county overall. So really what, what we're talking about is that any cuts felt by the health system would be felt by the health system in its role as a provider. And the health system's budget as a provider of care, that is our hospitals and clinics, public health and the jail health, is just under $900 million a year. That's why those asks are painful because they're against a backdrop of that part of the budget, not the entirety of the budget. Um, your own budget uh, calls for closing the Oak Forest Health Center in the south suburbs. Now, I know there have you know, been lots of stories about how much uh, health care is available to people south of, uh, south of uh, say, Chicago Avenue or south of, uh, uh, you know, any, uh, you know, like Adam Street or whatever. But why is that a good idea? Well, first of all, well, first of all, let me clarify that um, what you're referring to is a a series of recommendations that we Mm -hmm. made to the chair of the finance committee 
when the chair asked us to, tr- to try to find $27 million of savings to our proposed budget. And so, first of all, it's only a proposal or a consideration. And it's a painful one for us because, frankly, with the movement of individuals out of public housing, when the public housing projects have come down over the past couple of decades, there's been a significant exodus of individuals that we had served historically out to the south suburbs. And frankly, the people in the communities that we serve in the south suburbs, the biggest challenge that those individuals have is access to specialty care and diagnostic services, both of which we provide at the Oak Forest Health Center. So we want to be able to continue to provide that service if at all possible. However, the Oak Forest campus itself is problematic. It's at a location um, that's not where most of our patients are. It's set back from the road, so you don't even know it's there. So it's not very good for, for attracting new business, if you will, in the door. We're trying to provide efficient ambulatory services on a very expensive, very large, spread out uh, chassis at Oak Forest. You might remember that it used to be a sanitarium at one time. So it's a beautiful campus. It's kind of a rolling campus, but it's a very big place that's very expensive to maintain and keep up. And lastly, because it wasn't designed as an ambulatory center, it's just not an efficient place for people to see, uh, for people to go to get care. They may have to walk hundreds of yards to get to the next station or to get to the pharmacy and so on. So the reason that we considered uh, moving our clinical services out of Oak Forest is for those reasons. We'd like to stay committed to the South Suburbs, but this is a great example of how difficult and how challenging the cuts are when we have felt like over the last several years we have reduced and reduced and reduced. Does the idea of closing Oak Forest also include any money to be made from selling that property? Because it is, it's still, like you said, it's a beautiful campus. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm happy to say, though, it's not my question. Actually, that campus and the buildings, like all of the buildings that the health system operates out of, are really the property of the county. And so you don't get any help from them. They're, they're, they're managed by the Bureau of Asset Management. And so any ideas about should it be uh, developed in a different way, should it be sold for redevelopment, et cetera, that really would come back to the president's office and the Bureau of Asset Management. Uh, let me ask a, questions about another area that people might look at in a budget and say, oh, what about this? The system has some $150 million in planned improvements on the books for between now and 2020. Um Are all of those necessary? We think that they are, and we think that they are for a variety of reasons. First of all, uh, what those uh, um, changes are are, are aimed to do is to replace antiquated, in some cases, crumbling buildings. As a matter of fact, I toured today the old Fantas Clinic, which we've been operating in since 1959 and which we're turning off the lights on today. Buildings like that have served the health system and the people that we serve well for a long time, but what we found is that these old, dilapidated buildings are expensive and hard to maintain to current regulatory and safety standards. In our community-based centers, oftentimes the demographics have changed, and the place where our clinics are is no longer where the patients that we serve are. 
Thirdly, uh, today we find ourselves post-Affordable Care Act with more than 60% of the people that we serve having insurance. Those individuals have choice. And while they typically are very grateful for the doctors and the nurses that care for them in the health system, oftentimes if they walk in and they see a tired old building that has a leaking portico, you know, and they think to themselves, gee whiz, I could go to a name another health system and they've got bright, shiny, clean offices that have been built in the last 10 years, that's hard to compete with. And if we don't keep those insured individuals within the health system, it becomes very difficult for us to have the revenue to offset the care of the uninsured 39% of the people that we take care of, who, again, uh, require a lot of care. You know, the last year that we had data for, our health system provided 45% of the charity care in Cook County. And you can't do that unless you can attract and retain insured individuals to offset some of that expense. How much more pressure would there be on the budget uh, if the Affordable Care Act, or if and when the Affordable Care Act is repealed and replaced with who knows whatever else? Well, that would be a very, very serious day of reckoning, not only for our health system, by the way, but for every health system in the state and in the country, because frankly, um, if you look across Cook County, while there's no question that the Affordable Care Act has helped to steady the finances of the Cook County health and hospital system, it's also steadied the finances of every health system in the state. You'll see that every health system in the state since the ACA has had a marked reduction in the amount of charity care that they do. And that's because in Illinois, our uninsured rate has gone from the high teens down to about 6 or 7%. And so the Affordable Care Act, uh, we think, can be improved, but we don't think that it should be repealed or replaced unless there is at least an adequate sub, uh, substitute that assures access to care for the Americans who have care now. And from my view, access to care for all Americans would be a step in the right direction. Do you think that enough Congress members are hearing that message from their constituents and, frankly, officials in other parts of the uh, the country that uh, they're going slow on that uh, idea of just ripping it apart? Well, I think although it was a it was a tumultuous and a pretty fraught year for us as we look to Washington and these multiple efforts to try to uh, quickly uh, and 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 I think with uh, without forethought repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. The good news story behind that was as people started to understand what the Affordable Care Act had in fact done to improve not only coverage, but also to improve other aspects of health insurance, uh, it gave them great pause. I mean, let's talk about Medicaid for just a moment. If you look in Illinois, one in four Illinoisans is on Medicaid. Half the babies born in the state that birth is paid for by Medicaid, and those children are then covered by Medicaid until they're 19 years of age. Medicaid is the single largest provider of uh, payer, I should say, for services for individuals who are in nursing homes. And so I think the awakening that we saw during the course of the summer and the early fall was people starting to recognize, hey, wait a minute, Medicaid isn't some crazy thing that's just for poor people. Medicaid touches it's hard to imagine that there's a family in the country that isn't assisted in one way, shape, or form by Medicaid. 
And so I think that that awakening of the body politic did give Congress pause. And it's my hope that even as they go down the path of tax reform, that they don't try to do it on the, on, uh, the dollars taken away from economically vulnerable populations who have had an opportunity to improve their care under Medicaid expansion. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Dr. Jay Shannon. He is the CEO of Cook County's Health and Hospital System. And uh, let's see, why, why don't we uh, try to recreate uh, some of the fun you had uh, huh. last Tuesday at the uh, budget hearing for the Health and Hospital situ- uh, System? Um, because several commissioners seem to think that uh, money could be saved by not filling vacant positions. That's a question you must have gotten like 10 times. But, but first off, how many vacant positions do you have? And to pretty much sum up all the questions that you were asked, can none of them be eliminated? Well, so here's the challenge. Uh, the, the system has about 6,800 positions in the approved FY17 budget. Now, one of the things that people don't understand is that even though those positions are all in the budget, there is a presumption made by the budget office of the county that you'll never have all your positions filled in healthcare, And that's a good presumption to make because if you look across health care systems in the country, largely because of the growth of jobs in healthcare, most health systems have between 10 and 12 percent of their positions vacant. Lo and behold, in our system, we have at our close of our books for the last complete months, 680 vacancies against a backdrop of 6,800 budgeted positions. So first of all, we're at the, if you will, the market benchmark in that regard. Secondly, if you take those vacancies away, what happens is those positions that you may need to be uh, uh, filling, and we've got the same kind of vacancies that most health systems do. We're particularly challenged in filling all of our nursing positions particularly in things like the operating room, the emergency room, and, and in uh, behavioral health services. These are exactly the same kind of challenges that other health systems have. Lastly, what happens is, is that if we have a clinical need, but the position is not filled, what happens is we'll have to call someone who's already on our payroll and ask them to work an extra shift. Then we're paying them overtime to provide that service. You know, if I've got a full intensive care unit, I don't turn two of the patients out when I don't have the staffing for all the rooms. I call in extras, and that's either going to be overtime or it's going to be from Acme Rent-A-Nurse, and that's usually more expensive even than the overtime. So the notion that if you sweep those vacancies away, you'll save a bunch of money is wrong on at least two counts. Mm -hmm. First of all, those positions are not fully funded in the county budget. And secondly, well, they're funded at 90 percent. Right? They're funded at 90 percent. Right. So, again, uh, theoretically, if we filled up to 100 percent, we would exceed our allotted or our uh, appropriated budget line for the year. Mm-hmm. So that would be the challenge for us. And then secondly, if we've got the clinical need and we don't have that position filled, then we have to fill it with either overtime or agency, which are expensive. Uh, let's take another idea that uh, that came up a couple of times. Uh, Commissioner Richard Boykin suggested more aggressive collection of the uh, $350 million in outstanding debt. And that I mean, that certainly would take care of the uh, 
if you could collect all that money, it would certainly take care of a lot of problems for the county, but well, why can't you? Well, I think your comment is exactly the right one. If you could collect all that money. So there's a big difference between the bills that we send out for an insured patient and the amount of money that we can collect. And this is the same for health systems across the country. And so what happens is every day you're creating expenses and charges that go out. So your accounts receivable is at a certain level, but it's constantly refreshing, if you will, as you're providing services to somebody today. When you send those bills out, your own track record at collection gives you a sense of what you can expect. How many cents on the dollar of charges can you expect to get? It's somewhere between 25 and 35 cents on the dollar in general. And so what we typically do is we do the best that we can to collect those charges. And after a certain period of time, when we said, well, we've tried our best, we can't get that money, we turn it over to a debt collection service. It's the same debt collection service that the county overall uses for debt collection. And if they can get something, that's great. But the reason that the, that the recovery of funds from that is as low as it is, is because we're taking care of a low income, oftentimes uh, uninsured or underinsured population. And if they could pay us, they would, but oftentimes they just don't have the funds. So we don't feel, uh, and, and I'd point out one other thing, Craig, what we've shown, and part of the reason, again, that we've been able to reduce the burden on the local taxpayer over the last several years is because, in fact, we have done a better job progressively year over year at collecting revenue for services that we've given as a healthcare system to people who had insurance. So we think that we're demonstrating competency in that regard, but we don't think that just selling accounts receivable, the notion that you would get 300 or $400 million is inaccurate. In fact, even another debt service would only be able to get a fraction of those charges. And, and I guess and I, they would charge yeah, us yes to collect that money uh, we should point out that uh, I mean those of us who've been around even longer than you have uh, uh, will remember the days when frankly the hospital system didn't bill that's right much of anything and didn't even collect the federal money it was uh, all, all the federal money it was owed so this is a this is this was a, this is a big change from the old days of the hospital right. I do want to talk about the hospital's mission in the time that we have left though Um because, uh, you know, this is, this is a hospital system that has to be there when people who can't go anywhere else have to go somewhere to, to get well. That's very often emergency room care. I mean, that, that's how they arrive at your doorstep a lot of times. And that's really expensive. But I mean, so it's, it sounds like you're, you also not only have to deliver care to people who can't afford it, but you have to deliver the most expensive care to people who can't afford it. Is that, I mean, how, how much of a problem is that, and how do you get past that? Well, uh, your overall assessment of this is correct. I mean, we are the last chance Texaco for the poor and uninsured in this region. However, what we've tried to do is we've tried to take modern, coordinated care services and use modern approaches to care coordination, to getting access to an appointment, to reaching out to individuals so that we don't have to provide that expensive care. Let me give you an example of that. 
Um, I told you that I toured the Fannis Clinic uh, uh, today. The first place that I worked in 1990 when I started with the system was in the walk-in clinic there, the ASC. It was like the Ellis Island on the, on the old Cook County Hospital campus. We closed that clinic down about two years ago. And we did that because we found that most people who were coming there didn't have an acute illness. Many of them were coming for simply a medication refill, or they were going to wait for six or seven hours just so that they could be referred to a specialist. We said, wait a minute. If you talk to us, we can get you a refill from our pharmacy over the phone. We can get you connected with a specialist by making an appointment through our system. You don't have to sit there for seven hours. We're trying to do the same thing with the ER. So while we have the busiest ER in the city, and we will continue to provide those 24-7, 365 services, Our motto is trying to get people the right care at the right time, at the right place. And increasingly, that means putting those services in the community, upstream and accessible. Now, uh, the health and hospital system has, uh, has upgraded a lot of its services and equipment. So let me ask the politically insensitive question. Does this, uh, does this, uh, care, does this last resort care have to be so state-of-the-art and so expensive? Well, I'd, I'd say um, that I would make the case that having appropriate modern technology available is something that the health system has always done very, very well. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, a couple of years ago, we recognized that the radiation therapy machines that we had in the Stroger Hospital, which were in use since we moved in, in December of 2002, we realized that they were more than four or five years past their normal operating life. And I'd point out, these are the busiest linear accelerators in the city. We made the investment to get good, new, state-of-the-art equipment. It's outstanding equipment. But if you look at what that equipment is doing, it's churning two or three times as many patients through it as any of our competitors would be doing because of the demand for our services. So you need to have good equipment to be able to give excellent care. And that excellent care, by the way, should save you expenses in the long run. If we've got a surgeon working in the operating room and something breaks in the middle of an operation and a patient has a bad outcome, that doesn't help anyone. And the last point I'd make about this is that You can't attract and retain the top-notch clinical staff that we have in our health system. If you ask them to come and take care of some of the most challenging people that you'll ever take care of, very rewarding job, but very challenging job, and say, by the way, we're going to ask you to do it with lousy old equipment. How does that sound to you, doctor? They're going to say, you know, my heart's in it, but I don't feel like I'm able to give the care I was trained to if I have to use this lousy old equipment. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left, Liz, so let me ask this, uh, this one question. What are we gonna, how are we going to get out of this? What, at, least, at least as far as the health and hospital system is concerned, is there going to be some kind of meeting of the minds with the, the board, or is someone on one side going to have to shove something down someone else's throat? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at the end of the day, and I've got a huge respect, actually, for our elected officials because they've got a tough job. At the end of the day, they're taking taxpayer funds and they're allocating it in the best way that they can possibly. And unfortunately, particularly in a tough budget year like this one, they're weighing, you know, difficult options against challenging options. 
what we will do is we will sit down with the commissioners. We will share with them transparently the information that we have and the case that we have to make for why something should be preserved. And if something needs to be cut, what the downstream consequences of that's going to be. And it does take Solomonic wisdom at the end of the day to get to answers to shape a budget in the challenging year that we've got ahead of us. And, you know, uh, the, the real tough thing about this is, Craig, it's not going to get any easier next year or the year after that. So um, we are going to work in concert with uh, the commissioners and with our staff to do everything we can to minimize the damage that this has on the people in the communities that we serve. That's going to be our final word. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Jay Shannon. He is the CEO of Cook County's Health and Hospital System. And uh, thank you for spending the half hour with us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. You can follow the audio links. You can also find our podcast on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you will be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.